What's up everyone and welcome to episode 164 of the Justin Insight podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and their journey through it. Uh, as always, I am your host Tim Birkbeck and I've been super productive this week. I've booked a lot of guests for, for this show, which I'm super stoked about, super stoked to get those out and for, for you people to hear them. Um, I've also booked myself a holiday because COVID's fucking shit, but looking by the state of our government and how rubbish it is, we're probably going to go into a second lockdown, so I probably won't get to go on that said holiday, but hey-ho, being optimistic. Um, And my other podcast, Punks on the Pitch, is is starting to get some traffic, people starting to engage with that, so really appreciate that. If you're one of the people that listens to this and that, really appreciate you, and yeah, thank you very much for everyone that's checked it out. Um, I'm going to keep this intro relatively short this week, but I just wanted to flag something up before we get into this week's guest. So in last week's episode with uh, Jess Nix, she mentioned that uh, she was putting out a new project, a vegan straight edge band um, that she was part of. That material is now out in the world. Uh, the band is called World of Pleasure. Uh, they've released a three track self-titled EP um, and it's on all streaming platforms, Bandcamp, uh, Spotify, Apple Music. So go get that in your ears, it's fucking rad, and if you're a fan of what Jess has done before, then I'm sure you'll enjoy this. Right, anyway, let's get on to this week's guest, and this one was a bit of a cool one for me, because it was a band that I had no clue about until uh, a member of the band had actually reached out to me, and I checked out their record, and really, really dug it, and uh, really kind of liked what they were all about so I wanted to learn a, a bit more and kind of delve into that so this week I'm joined by vocalist and guitarist of post-hardcore band Guilt uh Tyler Field, Fieldhouse um we talk about them sort of growing up and their mum listening to Korn and sort of getting them into alternative music uh how they kind of didn't really get into the DIY scene until a lot sort of later in life like into their mid-20s um, and how Guilt kind of built up this reputation of being a touring band before they uh, put out their full-length record, which is out now and, again, on streaming platforms. So, yeah, please, enjoy the chat I have with Tyler, and I'll see you on the other side. Uh, joining me this week on the Justin Insight podcast is guitarist and vocalist of post-hardcore band Guilt, uh, Tyler Fieldhouse. Tyler, thank you very much for taking some time out of your day. Um, how's everything in, in your world at the moment? I know, obviously, we'll get into it in a bit more detail, but the band, obviously, new record out. It's a weird time to be promoting it, but how is everything with you guys at the moment? Yeah, um, so the person uh, who runs our label, Knife Punch, just sent us a message yesterday, and it's like a weird thing to be excited about, but all of the songs have like roughly equal streams okay like so like the uh i guess the realization i got from that because like we're uh one of the things that i was worried about was that our genre was like all over the place with every song the moods really like peak and valley and stuff yeah and i thought that that would be like some people only like some songs and some people you know whatever but it, it looks like the data is showing us that uh people like the whole record that's Which cool. Is really cool. Yeah, like that's that's the good, exciting news in my life right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've kind of touched on it there with the sort of peaks and valleys and things, but we'll get onto that in a in a little bit because I do want sure. to talk about that kind of aspect of the album. Um, but with every show, how we kind of open it up is to sort of 
discover how you kind of got into sort of alternative music. So what was your kind of first exposure to alternative music? What got you hooked on it? Um, it's probably my mom uh, playing corn on the way to church when I was like 11. Okay, that's a weird <laughs> sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like my dad's favorite band is Led Zeppelin. Right. You know, like a dad. And my mom's favorite band is Nine Inch Nails. Not at all like a mom. Okay, that is fucking sick. Yeah, like um, I definitely, uh, I don't it just picked up a lot from both of them because like my dad was a musician, so like we talk about music a lot. But my mom is into more pop culture, so like I was, he was like, "This is fundamental music. You know, this is what you need to know to be a good musician." And my mom was like, "This is cool." Yeah. So I was like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah. okay," and uh, uh, she's into more aggressive stuff. So I, I definitely got into that because of her. I think the first record I owned, the first record I actually owned was, um, you know, a band called Our Lady Peace? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So that was like their record Gravity, because I had now, that's what I call Music 3. Yeah. And Gravity was on there. And then I bought the CD, because you bought CDs at the time, because I'm old. And then, but the first like like real band I got into was Linkin Park. And I bought Hybrid Theory. And my mom was like, oh, I like Linkin Park. And it was a weird moment as a kid to be like, is it cool the thing I just got really <laughs> yeah. into my mom also likes? Yeah, yeah. Do I need to go dig deeper to go past the things my mom likes in order to be like alternative? Oh uh, how so I'm intrigued. Like you may not be able to answer this, but like how how did your mom get into that kind of thing? Cause like I don't know, like, cause my like to give some perspective, so there's some stuff that like me and my brother listened to that like my mum would kind of get into through us like she really liked uh like the later life of agony stuff and things like that but okay. she, but she was never the one that was initially finding the music so where did where was your mom's entry point i i don't know i know that like my mom and my dad both connect on liking depeche mode and the cure right so, like, there's there's some sort of like alternative like 80s kind of stuff and i think heavy music oh i actually do i I do know the answer to this. My mom worked um, in a like mechanics, like garage, auto garage. Right. Okay. And the mechanics were listening to heavy music, like System of a Down and like Limp Bizkit and that stuff. And that she just got exposed to that, but she was already listening to alternative music. Yeah. But she she does stop short at because if you like break down like Nine Inch Nails, it's pretty much alternative rock. Like, yeah. Yeah. And and I I think like all of my parents, I I have three will say oh your music's good but like the screaming <laughs> so it, and it's weird it's like when i listen to system of a down i think of the end of boiob where it's like ah, yeah 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 i was like that's or like surge does those really low growly vocals sometimes i'm just like did you just ignore that part in the song or well, it's not, like even with corn like jonathan davis with his weird like scatting sort of stuff <laughs> over it so. but i guess it's it's because there's there i think everyone has a threshold of like vocal delivery where they're like this is unlistenable to me like there's some like there's a lot of screamo bands that like i like i'm in a screamo band but like uh i'll i'll listen to it and just be like i just don't want to hear this right now like it's just yeah, yeah. it's not enjoyable to me because it's so far past understanding the words yeah no i get that so i'm guessing like from the sounds of things you were kind of around sort of alternative music from a very young age then. So I guess in some aspects, you kind of don't know anything else in that way. Yeah. I mean, like I, uh, I know 
music like i mean when i was 14 yeah in high school uh there's my high school had an elective that was guitar class and i took guitar class and at the time i was just listening to basically lincoln park and uh i was you know like the the intro to music bands where like yeah yeah i was doing the thing that i thought i had to do where i was like i guess i need to buy acdc records and learn to like this um i bought metallica's what is it uh fuel is that the 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 kind of thrashy one? Oh yeah 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 no kill them all sorry kill them all um yeah and and i was like trying to make myself like those things just on a guitar level because i you know it's like all the guitar magazines and stuff like i was reading alternative press and ultimate guitar.com all the time just all those people were like oh yeah like metallica that's it's the best you know he's the best guitar player ever john fashanti from the red hot chili peppers is the best you know guitar top 25 guitar players so i was getting into that stuff but like actually being into alternative music that wasn't alternative for normies yeah it's probably like I was also watching VH1 at the time and like all the fueled by ramen bands were coming out. And that was like my thing. That was yeah. what got me into like stuff that my parents didn't like. Yeah. Yeah. Even though my parents took me to my first concert, which was Fall Out Boy. And like nice. my stepmom liked Fall Out Boy. She, um, she and I would listen to like infinity on high. And then she would tell me that like, she listened to Nirvana when she was a teenager. And I was like, oh, you listen to Nirvana. I remember like asking my guitar teacher to show me how to play smells like teen spirit. Like, there's yeah, a part yeah. of the day where you can walk in and you can just bring a CD and ask him how to play stuff. And I brought in Smells Like Teen Spirit. Like he had never heard it before. And he was like, yeah, I don't know. Like I'm going to have to try to figure this out. Like he hasn't <laughs> taught like 40 other kids how to play this stupid chord. <laughs> so then you kind of touched on it then. Like I guess moving on from sort of listening to, to Linkin Park and I guess kind of moving on to stuff that's more a bit in line with what you're playing now but maybe not necessarily specifically influencing what you're writing now but like what were the bands that you were kind of discovering off off the back of that and, and i guess so, is there like one band that you kind of i always find it interesting like if there's like one band that you kind of gravitated towards and think like that's kind of my band because i discovered them kind of thing okay so this is a hard conversation because a lot of the bands that are super like fundamentally important to me are canceled now. Right. Um, yeah. 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 So do do we want to do the thing where we just avoid talking about them or do we want to just like give a pass and say like, like these aren't necessarily good people, but their stuff was influential on me. I don't know where you stand on this. I mean, I'm going to take a, a, a massive guess from what you've said and one of them being brand new. Oh, <laughs> how could you tell? Um, actually, um, even though I, that band ended up being the most important band for like me modeling my sound off of, um, my big high school band was Say Anything. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Um, and like Max just put his foot in his mouth on Twitter a little bit yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I like, he's really important to me. Um, like, I mean, the band, but like also just like him in general. Like I, um, I was, I don't know, I was doing some interview or something. I, I remember... It, like I was trying to explain why it mattered to me and they just like clicked I guess where I was like alternative music was angry and I was angry or like sad and, but like it was just like Linkin Park I think is good because they have those emotions but I don't think that those songs are really about anything I think yeah. those songs are just like I'm angry and uh 
it's like like a lot of punk stuff too which is just like kind of like it's them versus us and it's very vague and then like you know listening to is a real boy i was like this guy is extremely specific about the things that are upsetting him and the way that he articulates it is the way that i think about it like a lot of the like like machismo masculinity elements aren't there it's a very intellectual person dissecting Mm. a very specific part of the world like the scene and like talking about like hipsters and stuff and i was like I like art and I'm very effeminate and yeah. I'm a little bit weird in the head. So this, like we matched up well and he was yeah, like, you yeah. know, I, I'm bipolar and I have issues with drugs. And I was like, I, I'm sad and I don't do any drugs. Like I, that Max's whole thing with drugs ended up influencing me to be straight edge. So yeah, it was a, Max was a big deal for me as probably more than say anything was. And I guess kind of like on that, cause so you said it was kind of, digging on a deeper level like i think as much as like hybrid theory for example is a incredible record it's it is kind of like paint by numbers sort of yeah yeah in that in that aspect so was it kind of like maybe not necessarily just with say anything but was it kind of that i guess kind of more intellectual sort of i guess wearing your heart on the sleeve kind of approach to music that you were drawn to yeah, definitely. And I mean, like, uh, so I was in Boy Scouts and when we were going camping and stuff, we would listen to like country on the radio. Like I have like a, like a soft spot for pop country. Okay. I think, I think country is very sad. And so like that, I mean, that was also accessing it, but really all the ways that like 2000s emo went about talking about their feelings, it like a fallout boy was big for me because pete wentz's writing is so snarky and like arrogant and quippy mm. and it's like a lot of the lines are very fast and uh i was like i was kind of adopting that because i was like oh i'm smart and uh, i want to be this like well-read metropolitan who can like cut you down with like the you know knife tongue <laughs> yeah. no that that's not in, like what i ended up being but that was that was the whole persona of that scene right that's the same yeah. thing of like what we aim for it's like i'm dapper and well-dressed and i can quote hemingway and i'm very effeminate and i'm going to say things that will deeply hurt you even as they go over your head and i was like mm. "Ooh, <laughs> 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 i want to hurt people too and I can, i'm not strong so let's learn <laughs> to use my words so then in terms of you kind of discovering music you said obviously like picking up a guitar and, and things like that so were you always drawn to to guitar or had you kind of dabbled with anything else prior and then landed on the guitar? Where did that all kind of stem from? So my dad was a child prodigy piano player. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So his dad was in a big band band. Um, yeah. And like, I never met him. He was long gone. But um, my dad had like a career when he was young. And then I ended up getting really disillusioned with like music and also in general, like wealth. And uh, so like at my entry point into life, he played music, but he was very uh, like anti musicianship, like, like established, like, like work type stuff. Like you should mm. just do it for fun. And, but he's also phenomenally talented. So I was like, well, I'm not going to learn the piano because I don't want to compete with my dad because he's better. And uh, <laughs> my mom's dad played guitar and I inherited, and I still have this like, like 1920s 
or 30s acoustic Gibson. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, but like, I just didn't care when I was like 12. They yeah, were like, yeah, yeah. here's a guitar. And I was like, I'm going to go turn on my PS2 and play Star Wars Battlefront again for the 12th time today. Um, and I don't, I don't know. So at some point I was just like, maybe I should try the guitar. And my dad was like, well, I can't teach you the guitar because my fingers are too big. And I said, perfect. <laughs> um, so I, I learned guitar. I took one year of it in high school and like we, we, played a lot of like classical compositions and I wasn't very good uh but I wasn't I was like a, a little bit above the middle mm. and they, like they, he formed like a, a group of like the slightly better kids I guess and we got to play like a bonus song at the end of the show and he gave me the bass and he was like all right you're you're the bass man and I was like nice and uh <laughs> I realized that was probably because I was the worst of of that group <laughs> yeah 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 but i uh i i did not have a lot of friends or people especially i guess i had people i saw for like boy scouts and i was in uh taekwondo so i I was in like groups but i didn't hang out with people and so when i got into music i was like well i guess i better learn every instrument so that i can make music because i don't have anyone to play music with yeah yeah so i i started with a guitar and i just kind of was like all right, I'm going to make a song. What other instruments do I need? I guess I need a bass. I guess I need drums. I guess I need a trumpet in this song for some reason. <laughs> so was it like just you learning each of those instruments kind of go into classes or was it kind of self-taught? Where did, where did that go? No, just just me in my room. My yeah. parents would be like, it's Saturday. Don't you want to go out with your friends? I'd be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> just in my room. I was very lucky that um, you know, that game Rock Band yeah 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 so i had guitar hero and i was like this is cool and so my parents are divorced i was at uh like my mom's playing guitar hero and my dad was like okay well we should get you that you know at my house also and i was like yeah but there's this new game rock band and then we sat down to do that and i started playing the drums and i was like this is cool and everyone was like, wow, you're really good at that just kind of off the bat. And I was like, yeah. is this not how good you're supposed to be at it? And they're like, no, like you're you're pretty good at that. And I was like, okay. So I got an electronic drum kit and I was like, oh, this is not bad. I learned, I taught myself drums. I would have two earbuds and one would be going to the drum kit and one would be going to my iPod classic. And I specifically learned drumming too from under the cork tree and um, does this look infected by some 41 right um i don't have a double kick so there's one part in mr amsterdam that i can't do but <laughs> otherwise i just got a double kick like this last year so i'm like i'm gonna learn how to do this i'm gonna go back to where i started and relearn <laughs> mr amsterdam but That's yeah cool. it was just me just in my bedroom playing records and trying to figure out how music works that's cool. It's weird that you mentioned Rock Band. So someone that I've had on the show ages ago, but he's a, a really good friend of mine. Um, he plays in like a, a screamo band here in the UK called Punch On. And he okay. actually learned drums through playing Rock Band. Like yeah, it's great. Yeah. So it's quite, it's weird because like at the top, when he told me that, I thought that was such like a weird phenomenon, but apparently it's like a normal thing. I think it's, uh, I remember my niece came over one time and she was like four, you know, she was like a little, little kid, but we sat them down and they did, they, I have two nieces and they did like this little, like, we're going to do like a performance for you. And one of them sang with a karaoke mic and 
the other one was just kind of hitting the drum like the, the rock band drum kit wasn't plugged in yeah but she was hitting the pads and it's like i just looked at her and i was like this kid has rhythm like there's just i think there's a certain like you, you have fundamental timekeeping or it's going to be very difficult for you mm. i think that's what rock band shows you yeah yeah whereas when i played it i just don't have hand-eye coordination so i <laughs> i'm yeah. all over the shop yeah I, I mean i think that's the thing i think you can build like muscle memory you can build but internal rhythm it's like so hard to develop if it's not already easy for you yeah yeah so then in turn you mentioned kind of like playing the kind of classic compositions and stuff with the guitar and things like that but in terms of it kind of moving in the more sort of alternative direction was that i guess like going back to you saying like bringing in the cds of nirvana saying like you wanted to learn that kind of thing was that more something that you had to actively pursue and kind of learn off your own back like because oh, yeah. okay you're, you're learning these sort of like i guess the fundamentals of how to play the guitar but you're not necessarily playing it the way you want to play it yeah like no and none of that's stuck i i uh <laughs> i know the pentatonic scale still that's yeah. the only scale i know and i know the name of you know like the basic chords but that's basically all that that got left with me from there um the first song that i actually like song song that i learned how to play was uh wolves at night by manchester orchestra oh nice a really big deal like they're from atlanta yeah and so they would come to the orlando house of blues which is where i went to all of my shows like at twice a year and um, like I saw them when they were first promoting that record. They mm. opened for Say Anything. That's how I found out about bands. Is like Say Anything yeah. would come to town, and whoever was opening for them, I'd be like, "This is my new favorite band." <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but I remember watching Manchester Orchestra, and the whole room was singing their record, and I was like, "I've never seen that before." And I was like, "This is the opening band. Why does everyone know this band? Yeah. They're not on VH1. How is this possible?" Because my my understanding of music because I wasn't part of the scene whatsoever was very skewed. And I was like, if you're not on VH1, you know, you just don't exist. And uh, I, so I learned Wolves at Night. I learned it by going on ultimateguitar.com and I wasn't good at guitar. So I clicked on the one that said chords because that's, that's for the people who really don't know what they're doing. <laughs> and I showed it to my mom. I was, I, I was sitting in on the steps inside my step, stepdad's at the times uh house and the first words out of my mom's mouth after i showed her were you know we can get you singing lessons <laughs> and that, that's when i knew i was not a very good guitar player but i was an even worse singer <laughs> it's a very sort of like gentle hand if you're like uh, maybe give this a go kind of thing. no my my mother is wonderfully blunt <laughs> well you you mentioned there obviously like going to um, sort of like see well you've mentioned obviously seeing fallout boy you're going to see say anything and stuff like that but in terms of kind of like i guess the more kind of diy world as you said like you didn't really kind of know that existed so when did you kind of fall into that and like Yo, being... okay literally a decade after the stories i was just telling you okay <laughs> like, no, that's it took fair. me so long i um like i, I just i did not have a peer group i don't uh, I, it sounds really self-deprecating and I know that the people who like were my childhood friends would kind of be like all right well screw you buddy like act like I wasn't there but like I didn't hang out with people and I didn't hang out with anybody musically inclined yeah um and I didn't drink or do drugs 
And so nobody invited me out to places where that was happening, even if they would have invited me, I guess. Um, so I went to college and I basically was the kid who like put headphones in until the class literally started. And then the minute it was over, I'd put them back in and I would just right. go back to my car and go home. And my parents would be like, you know, you're supposed to be exploring the world and growing as a person. And I was just like, I don't like anybody. I don't want to talk to anyone. <laughs> I, was very, I was very like moody. Um, and after college, like right, like right after I'd graduated, um, my, I don't remember if we were dating or if she was my ex by then, which would be a funnier story if she was my ex. I think she was. So my ex introduced me to my first drummer for my first band because I was like, I want to be a musician. And she was like, you know, here you go. Here's a drummer. And then she was like, you should go to this bar and see this band. And I was like, I don't drink. And she was like, yeah, but like, just go see the band. And I was like, you can just go to a bar and just <laughs> yeah. not drink. And she was like, yeah, there's other stuff happening at bars, which like my dad was a bartender when I was younger. And at the, at that bar, there was a dartboard and then there was where you drank that. I mean, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, what do you mean? There's bars where you play music. And I was like, music happens at the Orlando house of blues. That's the only place music happens like, or, you know, like arenas. And she was like, just come to the bar. And I went and, the band that I saw play, I, I'm still friends with their singer. And like, um, they've been like fundamental to kind of explaining music to me, like my band's first show they played. They live in Ohio now on our first big tour they played. And like, we stay in touch a lot. It's, uh, it's weird. It just, I, I fell into it, but I was yeah. 24, which is way older than you're supposed to be in the scene already. You know, you're supposed to stop going when you're like 22. And then, uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh okay i get this and there's only like two bars in my town well i mean you know for like diy stuff yeah uh, there's a bunch of like tour i live in a tourist town so it's all like palm trees and overpriced jack daniels but like it the diy bars i was like oh i'm gonna start being in bands and playing shows and i immediately went from i've never been to a show in my life like diy to I am one of three bookers in my town and everyone's always hitting me up for stuff. Oh, wow. So it, it threw me into DIY really quickly. And I think the fact that I was a little bit older gave me a, a, an easier time with organizing stuff. And then the fact that I was in Boy Scouts forever and I was organizing these massive like construction projects, I was like, oh, organizing 10 people and just asking them to show up and play music is really easy. <laughs> yeah. It's just a matter of meeting them, you know? That's cool. So, in terms of you then actually I guess actually like playing music you mentioned sort of that time like kind of like mentioning to your ex that you wanted to be a musician and stuff yeah and so had you been in any kind of bands prior to that or no. again did you kind of come to that later in life no I was I was always writing music when I was in high school um this is going to be a real shot in the dark have you ever heard of a record called Razia's Shadow uh no I can't say I okay so this is a musical by the artist Forgive Durden. And it's one of their two records. Um, if you like pop punk emo, their first record is really good. It's called Wonderland. It's a concept record. Um, but Marazia's Shadow had guest features from Max from Say Anything, um, Aaron from Me Without You, Chris Connolly from Saves the Day, Brendan Yuri, like, so, uh, I had never listened to Portugal Demand, but whoever that person is. Yeah. Like, like, 
everybody was on this record and it was a big deal to me in high school so i was like oh musical i'm and also like the black parade had just come come out and like american idiot had just come out so i was like i'm gonna write like a musical slash like rock opera yeah and i that's what i spent like years doing in high school just by myself working on all these arrangements um uh and then I lost it. I, I literally just lost the paperwork. Oh, shit. I didn't save any of it on computers. And I was just like devastated. And I was like, all right, screw this. And then uh, they're like, what do you want to go to college for? And I said, well, uh, I like drawing and I like playing music. But I think that college is about learning. And I feel like I'm worse at drawing. So I should probably go to college for drawing so I can get better. And that doesn't make any sense. But like, that was how my thought pattern worked. I was like, I'm, I'm okay at music by myself, but I really need help with the drawing if I want to do that. So like music kind of backburnered, but I kept like recording stuff at home. And then I was like, screw it. I really need to start a band. And um, I went to another Say Anything show. And uh, the opener this time was the Front Bottoms. Right. Yeah, and I remember listening because I used to listen to the bands like before I would go to the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just to kind of know what they sounded like, and I was like, "This is the stupidest music I have ever heard. This guy's <laughs> voice is terrible. These songs are so dinky." And then I went to the show, and I was like, "This is the catchiest music I have ever heard." <laughs> like, and I I can still understand that it is dinky, but it, it just clicked. I was like, "Oh, dinky on purpose. It really sets the bar." low and lets you be kind of weird without the expectation of like oh this person's a bad singer it's like oh they're unique yeah and uh so i was like okay instead of hyping myself up and being like i need to start like a real band like a you know like a good band i knew that i was bad at stuff so i was like i'm gonna do this front bottoms thing i'm gonna start a band whose whole premise is like ha 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 we suck so bad and uh that's what i did and i I made the first EP and then I was shopping around for bandmates. So like I made all the music first and then I got bandmates. Okay. So I guess like in terms of like your like quote unquote first band, did it kind of start as a, as a kind of a bedroom project or did you always have the intention of being like a proper band? So it was a bedroom project in that I made it in my bedroom and the record was called I Love My Room. And it was like, uh, like many layers of like meta irony where yeah. it's like in order to really set the bar low to, to mitigate expectations. Cause I have, I have so much like, uh, pressure that I put on myself because of what I think everyone expects from me that I was like, I just can't do music. And then when I did this project, I was like, this is a way for me to do something within my limitations that still is moving me forward out of just making music kind of in my bedroom. But the premise of being a bedroom band, like it, it lets anything I do sound impressive. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I was also using it as the way to like do art. Cause I was like, I have this art degree now and I don't know what to do. They're like, well, you can mm. go to grad school and then you can come back and be an art teacher. And I was like, I really feel like you should have some life experience before you become a teacher. Like, I don't think it's healthy to go to college and then just turn around and regurgitate that information. <laughs> yeah. Like, if it doesn't lead to you having a sustainable career, maybe that information wasn't good. Yeah. Um, so, like, I was like, cool, this is a chance to do album art work and shirt designs and I can do posters. I used to draw all of our, every single show I booked, whether I played or not, I would hand draw the poster. And, um, 
it it worked out for me that first band went like I said I went from never playing a show to the first show that band played like I booked it and I I just just to explain how very little I understood um that first band that I mentioned that I went to see they were called cute fills and the, the person who was fronting it um their name is Cameron and so Cameron played my first show and I walked up to Cameron and, and I said hey how do I pay everybody do you pay them per <laughs> band or do you pay them per band member because in my mind it was like well if you're a solo act why are you getting the same $40 that a four-piece band gets, you know, because shouldn't everybody get the same amount of money? Yeah. And Cameron was like, I've literally never heard of anyone doing that. Why would you think that? And I was like, I, I don't know anything. That's how far <laughs> removed from like the yeah. scene I was. Um, but yeah, so I, I got bandmates for that. And that band ended up doing like a multi-week tour up the east coast up to massachusetts for like no reason like we weren't anybody and like i had never been on a tour but i booked so many people in my town that were like i'm have you have you booked a lot of shows and then well i was i was going to touch on this i was going to touch on it in a minute because i was going to ask you how you kind of got into the booking because i used to book shows down here and so where i live is on the south coast of the uk and it's kind of, do you, do you know much about the geography of the UK at all? I'm from America. I don't know anything about geography okay. of anywhere. <laughs> so there's kind of like along this, along the coast, there's a couple of like major cities, but like touring route wise, you either hit a place called Southampton or you hit a place called Brighton and I live bang in the middle. So I kind of started doing shows there because nobody ever came to my town. Right. Um, Okay, listen, you're not allowed to say nobody ever came to your town. I'm from Florida. <laughs> nobody ever comes to my state. My state, like the size of your country. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. But like that was kind of like why I wanted to start booking shows because I was, at the time, I couldn't drive. So it was like a pain in the ass, like having to travel to go to shows and things. So yeah, that was kind of like why I kind of got into it. So what... I guess, like, with you, as you say, kind of coming to it late, like, where did you kind of want that need to be, become a booker and start doing shows? So I remember kind of talking to Cameron after my first show and being like, okay, I threw the show and, like, I paid everybody, but, like, what happens next, you know? And um, Cameron used to be the emo booker. Cam like, Cameron had a bunch of different bands, but no matter what band you know they were in at the time whenever an emo diy band would come to town which is the only shows i wanted to go see like yeah my town has a lot of um uh like very friendly beachy kind of like surf rock stoner psychedelic kind of stuff um a lot of like groove bands were coming through just stuff that i didn't really care about um but uh charlie who books all the like denim vest ramones core kind of punk stuff yeah and then cameron was booking like emo those were like the two people that i really connected with and whenever you know somebody would come cameron would be throwing the show and he either asked me if i wanted to play or like invite me to come and eventually i was like oh so whenever i play a show it's for a touring band and i asked cameron like you never just throw shows and cameron was like no why would you do that and i was like that's fair because i guess at the end of the day if you're making 
$200 a night. And you're splitting that between four bands and each band has four members. Like it's not financially reasonable to spend that evening trying to make $7 a person, (laughs) you know, as opposed to just going to work. But Cameron was like, but if you, if you play these shows with these touring bands, they'll help you get out of Florida. And I think that get out of Florida should be like the like subheader to the story (laughs) of my life. Um, Like I love my family and it's cool (laughs) that um, like they, they let me like live with them for a long time. And like the studio that guilt practices in is on like my dad's it's, it's my dad's garage. Um, But like there was never a way to be successful being just in Florida. And it very quickly became apparent that like, I needed to go on tour. I didn't know what that meant. I thought it just meant go go play other people's bars, which it basically does. But like, uh, it wasn't like go on tour. Like you need like a PR team and and like to establish yourself. It was just like leave your town. Yeah. And because like all the bands that came to my town, nobody knew who they were, and and nobody came out because of who they were. They just went, oh, there's a band playing. And I kind of thought that's how it was everywhere. I didn't realize how the scene like knew each other. Yeah. Like, in, in like the northeast like where all the emo bands that i'm friends with now are from it's like they all know each other when somebody comes to town everyone is stoked i remember charlie booked one of the the last living person who was in the ramones um at, i don't know why i can't think of his name right now anyhow he was like the drummer for the ramones for the last 10 years yeah and um and in my mind this is the biggest thing that's ever come to saint augustine and like maybe like 80 people turned out and like i mean that's a big diy show but as far as like a ramon coming to town like i feel like that gives a scope of how not uh involved in like the the at large culture my yeah is. yeah so i it was skewing my idea of why people went on tour yeah so then in terms of kind of like i guess just sticking with booking shows were there kind of any shows that you kind of remember like fondly that like you were proud of like maybe proud of maybe not the wrong term but like that like were really good shows for any specific reason that you can remember booking or was it just kind of that idea of creating some sense of community within within the scene i mean honestly and this sounds bad i it wasn't like scene consciousness or community like it was 100% me going okay I understand my job now my job is to make these bands some money yeah like they're on the road and it's like I I didn't understand what being on the road was like because I had never been on the road but I could see their face when I'd be like you know here's 40 bucks and they'd be like thanks but there was a streak that I got to for a while where I was giving bands like 80 to 150 dollars per show and i was booking a show a week or something like that and they would be like their their eyes would light up and, <laughs> yeah. you know like like you know over a hundred dollars in like a podunk nowhere town on a thursday like that's amazing yeah yeah um and and i was like okay i understand what i'm supposed to be doing and i actually ruined a lot of my friendships or what i guess could have been friendships with other bands in the scene because I got a reputation for being, I, I guess, like money hungry. Um, okay. But but it was mostly like a lot of the bands that were from my town who were the scene, 
they were just so used to like, oh, you know, somebody's throwing a show, like let's show up. And they wouldn't like advertise the Facebook event or they wouldn't like really push their friends to go. They, it, it was just kind of like, sure, we'll play. And for me, I was like feeling this pressure to give these people money. And I was like, yeah, how are you going to just expect to play shows and not put any effort in? Cause you live in this town. It costs you $0 to drive up, play the same set you played last week and go home. Like, you have to really, really dig to get people out week after week. And uh, that kind of hearing people talk about me, because I had friends who were like, hey, you know, people kind of don't like working with you because you, it seems like all you care about is money. And, and like, I never kept any money. I know that some bookers keep money. Yeah. That never crossed my mind. I was like, all the money goes to the touring band. I don't pay yeah, the locals, yeah. you know, and uh if locals asked like what's my cut I was like your cut is you're helping this touring band out and if you're friendly with them they'll probably help you book a show um but I I just focused on that and by hearing those people they were like Tyler acts like they're from Jacksonville and I was like what's you know what's in Jacksonville and Jacksonville is the nearest big city to me right um like if, if like a big band is coming through, they're going to go to Jacksonville, Orlando, Miami, or like right. Jacksonville, Orlando, Tampa. And then I kind of started getting to the Jacksonville scene and it's, it was just total culture shock. Cause those people are 100% about money. Like whatever people in San Augustine thought about me, like tenfold in Jacksonville, <laughs> yeah. those venues charge you $200 a night to book a show. I don't know Fucking how your venues. Yeah. Um, and they say, you know, we've got rent to pay. And a lot of their venues are just venues. Whereas the ones I was booking at in St. Augustine, the venues didn't charge us anything. They were just like, we're happy to have bands because it makes people come drink. Yeah, yeah. And, and as long as, you know, we, we promote hard and, and bring people out, they're happy. And then all the, the pay-to-play stuff happens in Jacksonville where it's like, all right, kid, your band can get on the show, but if you don't sell 50 tickets, then you don't get to play. And then once you sell your 50 tickets, you get one dollar per ticket back and then however many you sell goes to like where you play in the set and it was just like i was like no these people are scamming you this isn't yeah, even yeah. a business this is a this is a pyramid scheme <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i i booked shows that i felt were good because they were like financially responsible and because they led me to actually being friends with those bands because i tried yeah. to take the opportunity to talk to them and there was bands that like genuinely i would never get to see again and no. i i it like i like lament that i don't get to see these bands anymore because they just like blew my mind yeah and that, i think like that's the kind of thing it's like the kind of i guess networking aspect of it like one of the bands that i booked it was i think maybe either their first or second like uk tour and that was like nine ten years ago now and to this day now they're like some of my best friends and it's like yeah. they're they're putting out and so like I do a bit of photography on the side and they're putting out a new record like next week and I've done all the, like the promo photos and stuff for it and things like that. So it's that's cool. it's that kind of like building up of like that's what why I enjoyed it was like building up these friendships and as you say, like you then have I guess it's different in the States because the States is so much bigger, but like in the UK, like I have all these like pockets of friendship groups all over the country from like booking shows. So like if I want to go yeah. 
to Leeds or to Manchester or whatever, I can just hit them up and be like, yo, I'm in town sort of thing. Yeah, and, and, and like Guilt did that. Well, I mean, I did that with my other band, you know, starting on like the East Coast and kind of just the Southeast in general. And then like when Guilt started touring, we've been touring for three years mm. and we've done all of them. Like we went around America two years ago. We did a three straight month trip and it was just tracking one big oval. Yeah. yeah. Last or year before last or whatever. Last year we did a two month trip and like I kind of have that now, but it just took me so much longer because like you said, this place is a lot bigger. It's like, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I I know somebody in kind of every quadrant of every state at this point. Yeah. So before we kind of get into to guilt specifically, just because you said the the first band you did did go out on tour, and I always find yeah. f- find first touring experiences kind of quite interesting. So when you kind of went out on that that first run, like especially kind of like coming to the game late in some aspects, yeah. Did you have like any like preconceived ideas of what tour would be like, and kind of what was your experience like? Did you? Did it live up to expectations? Did it exceed expectations? Like, what was it like for you? Um, so this this takes my mind in, like, a different direction. Um, playing music has never been difficult. I, I, I mean, I, I like to think of myself as an introvert, or I guess I do think of myself as an introvert, but I really love performing. Right. I, I always thought, like... I was going to be a townie. Like I always thought like, uh, I remember telling people when I was younger, like some people like to travel because it's like every, I grew up around a lot of rich kids. Mm. Every like, like rich high school, like 14 year old girl has like a poster of the Eiffel Tower in her room. It's like, <laughs> oh, I'm going to travel when I'm older. And I was, I kind of like developed this like resentment because I, I conflated the idea of traveling with like kind of like arrogant wealth. Mm. and um like materialism and i was like i'm gonna stay in my town because the reason culture exists is because somebody stayed where they were and developed this community yeah and if everyone just you know goes around then there there's nothing to go see and i was i was just defending the fact that i'd never been anywhere and i'd never had the opportunity to do that and then like i started traveling and i was like oh no traveling rules i definitely <laughs> want to keep doing yeah. this um I don't want to be in my hometown, in fact, anymore at all, ever again. And it, it, I don't even want to be in one place. I just want to stay in the van. I, I've slept in the van so much that, like, sometimes you come home and you're just like, I can't sleep in my bed. This doesn't <laughs> yeah. feel like a Walmart parking lot. I'm not comfortable. Um, but, yeah, I, I really got into traveling and performing shows. Like, my first band, like I said, our shtick was like, ha-ha, we're really dinky. And people liked it. And yeah um guilt kind of started like that we were like look all of our gear is breaking all the time um but like now we've got our thing and people like that so that that was never an issue and and i i over prepare everything i don't know Mm. if you've uh picked up on the the, like low-key like obsessive perfectionism yet (laughs) but um yeah so that was normal i think what really surprised me was just socializing i hadn't done that up until that point in my life a lot and it's I I wouldn't say that I was going out of my way to be homophobic or transphobic or like racist or chauvinistic or any any of that stuff 
I always thought of myself as like a good considerate person. Yeah. But it's because I was never put in positions where anything was challenged about like my worldview or my experience and just getting kind of hammered down with like, oh, the way you say things or the way you come at things is disrespectful or maybe uneducated. And then dealing with getting educated in real time in like a way where I couldn't like escape and then go back to like a safe place and really internalize the information I was getting and go like, I see why this thing might have come off this way or like mm. why I needed to change this. It was just like, I'm, you know, at a place and someone would just, uh, I have distinct guilt over this and I'm not going to like bring anyone's name up. But I remember having a conversation about uh, a, a trans person I met, a trans woman who had a beard. And I remember talking to my bandmate, just a private conversation with my bandmate, like, you know, if she's a trans woman, why would, cause I was just learning about trans yeah, to start yeah. with. And then I was like, on top of that, I was like, well, well, why are we keeping these elements of masculinity? And like, they just looked at me like, wow, you're such an asshole. And I was like, I didn't have a chance in my, like, I guess, early twenties to like learn so I was learning and I was asking questions that seemed offensive. And yeah. even though those were private conversations, like it, it, every band is always like, if our group chat was public, we'd be canceled. Like if, <laughs> if my private conversations that were earnest questions were made public, I would immediately be canceled. I almost was canceled like several times because of things uh, other people in my band did that were mm. kind of along the same vein. And then I also had a bandmate that actually did some bad stuff. Oh, um, shit. And yeah, like navigating that, like being in Boy Scouts, the worst thing somebody did is like, I don't know, like not pack fruit bars for everybody. So we were hungry, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then it's like, I'm traveling around in a car with somebody who's got like a sexual assault allegations. And I'm like, well, what do I do now? We're already in this trip. You know, how do I deal with this? Like, what's my responsibility and learning about the the scene and culture and educating myself and also learning about responsibility because going into being a booker immediately you have a platform you know yeah. going into being you know a touring band you have a plat and I was like oh I wasn't prepared for any of that that was my big learning stuff yeah so then in terms of kind of like the musical journey was there kind of any other bands between that first band and Guilt or was it kind of straight on to um, that so the <laughs> so the first band um was called the holdouts and uh the the drummer ended up uh just being like i need to go get a normal job which is like a very yeah. fair you know eventually you just need money um that was one of the things that happened on like the holdouts first tour i remember him coming to me and being like this is the lowest point in my life we had no money the show that was supposed to have been booked for us i remember it was on 420 so i was already nervous <laughs> and um it was nobody showed up we showed up to people's house and they were like yeah like we didn't really advertise the show and i was like you know me being like the, everyone needs to promote the facebook event yeah i was like hey you didn't really advertise and they're like that's not how it works here people just show up at our house and uh nobody showed up oh, and shit. he was like this is the lowest point of my life like i have to get my life together i can't do this anymore and i said that's fair um and then the other member had some mental health stuff and this was also stuff we were learning about and they're like, I need to take a break. And I said, okay. So I joined a couple of other bands, kind of like an exercise in being a team player because every other thing that I've done, I 
I was running it, you know, I was like, yeah. I'm writing the music and I'm gathering people to just sort of play the music, which makes sense because my idols are like Max Bemis and Trent Reznor. And that's exactly what they do. Yeah. And uh, so I played in other bands, but the bands weren't going anywhere. Like one of them started to, then somebody moved. And then one of them was like, we, we could have played shows, but we couldn't all decide on a genre. And I was like, if I'm not the driving force, it feels like, nothing happens yeah so yeah i was like i'm going to resume the thing that i was doing before but just from a little bit more worldly and educated point of view so i started guilt and i was like all right i'm gonna write this music and i'm gonna find people to play it but this time instead of saying this is how it goes you know it has to be this way i was like this is the idea of the music elaborate on it you know because i, I yeah. recognize that there are people who are much more talented than me mm. so before we kind of dive deeper into guilt i wanted to touch on something you brought up earlier with you saying that you don't drink and i, I didn't realize that yeah. you were you were straight edge and i always find talking to straight edge people interesting because i'm i'm straight edge myself so i always find like oh. people's like journey into it like i, I had to move of... my straight edge. i had to take off my straight edge watch for the interview because it's so loud <laughs> have, you, have you noticed if you have the watch the the, the, the tick is so yeah, loud yeah. but so what was your kind of exposure to to straight edge because i i think like I could be completely wrong, but because of the music that you're playing and the music that you've said you've kind of grown up on, it's maybe not necessarily something so necessarily aligned with Straight Edge right. as as something that I listen to. Like I listen, like I got into it because of Have Heart and bands like that. So, what was your kind right. of entry point? Um. Okay, this is going to get kind of dark. Um, that's fine if you're happy to talk about it then yeah no just just like if anyone is is listening just like slight warning um so i i did mention uh like max's whole the talking about the the drugs and, the, and the, yeah. the undiagnosed bipolar that was like big for me and a lot of it was just coincidence in that i didn't have friends so nobody was in i feel like a lot of people start doing drugs because they're like just with people who are normalizing it and they're just like here you go you know try this and I just didn't have that. So it was easy for me to say no to drugs because I didn't have to say no. I just didn't have to say anything because nobody was asking. But yeah. um, I also have, I later got diagnosed with obsessive compulsive personality disorder, which is this like really harsh worldview, which does explain a lot of the other stuff that I've mentioned previously. Uh, I have like a, like, I'm very rigid in the way that I see things mm. and in the way that I behave and, uh, a lot of that manifested in like an idea of like morality and like being good and being productive things that would lead to me getting the things I wanted done. So in that sense, I was also avoiding it because it was like people said it was wrong. So I was like, I don't want to do a thing that's wrong. But uh, like the, the furthering of it is uh, my dad's dad, the, the one who was in the big band, he had depression and he ended up uh, it's, not confirmed, but it's suggested that he killed himself um, by mixing pills and alcohol. He had a drinking problem. Right, okay. Um, and then my dad has some mental health stuff. And for a long time in his life, before I was born, um, had a lot of issues with, with drugs. And it he'll, he'll be very plain about it. And you know, I think that took away from him being able to be a musician and he's always been very forward with me about that so i was like okay my grandfather was depressed and and was you know an addict 
my dad was depressed and was an addict. I'm definitely depressed. Mm. Maybe I could fix at least one of these problems, you know? Yeah. So I, I kind of, it was 100% like just sociological stuff, nothing to do with music. And then I started going to shows and people were like, oh, you're straight edge. Cause I, they're like, you know, do you want a beer or whatever? I was like, no, I don't drink or anything. And they're like, you're straight edge. And I was like, what's that? <laughs> yeah. and they said, well, it's a gang. And I said, what? <laughs> and, and apparently in Jacksonville in the early 2000s, it was. It oh, was really? Like, St. Augustine didn't really have any straight edge kids. There was like nothing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But like Jacksonville being the, the, the nearby cultural hub, the, the, it was the bad kind, you know, the kind that'll like beat you up if they see that you're drinking. They were hardline kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah. like, I, I was I learned what it was and then I started researching the history. Um, I just got that book, the one that Finn McKinty was promoting because I watched so much punk rock NBA. Anyhow, um, I like learned about it retroactively. I was like, I align with a lot of these views and uh, I'm not in a gang. And anytime yeah. anyone brings it up in Jacksonville, I was like, listen, I was never part of that scene. I just personally don't drink or do drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's weird so, like, that it was considered a yeah, gang. Yeah, I learned about it in reverse. <laughs> cool right so in terms of like guilt like you kind of touched upon it a little bit in terms of you saying like when you went out on tour like having these earnest conversations but they may be coming off the wrong way but obviously the way that guilt is sort of even before the music is touched upon you very sort of outwardly say that you're sort of allies with lgbtq plus you're very yeah. sort of open about your activism and your political stance and things so was that i guess when the band was formed was that a big part of of what you wanted the message of the band to be or is that something that kind of evolved later down the line in kind of i guess not like the social climate but just because it was something that you were learning about as well that you thought well i've got this platform as a musician i can use it in that sense sure. um so my my first band, The Holdouts, um, all right, let me go back further. The person who introduced me to the music scene, um, when we met, she was going through a lot of stuff with mental health, and I had never delved into any of that. Mm. Um, but I grew up being told you should be helpful to people. So I spent a lot of time with her while we were dating um, I took her to her first like real psychologist appointment and I went to all of the uh, doctor's appointments with her and I like helped her start doing therapy and I would go to therapy with her sometimes and that ended up being my therapist eventually. Um, but we, I learned about that so quickly and I was like, whoa, all this stuff is happening that I didn't know about and nobody's helping these people. And so that band ended up doing a lot of like uh, community charity stuff for like mental health advocacy. Okay. And then I ended up booking shows in my town that were like charity benefit shows for mental right. health stuff. So like I was already on the kind of advocacy train. I was already doing that by the time guilt started. And my uh, one, one of my bandmates the, who was in uh, the holdouts um, also was like starting to consider if they were non-binary, which like they are. And I was learning about that through them. They ended up joining Guilt later. But like I said, they had to take a pause for music for mental health stuff. So like Guilt started and I, I, I definitely wanted to talk about like mental health type things. 
but also I, I was really focusing on the fact that my dad had just become a pastor overnight. So that, okay. was, kind of, that was kind of just in the forefront of my mind. And um, the band started. And then as people came in, it just kind of bled into what was happening. Like uh, the Tristan, our, our guitar player, was uh, dating a trans guy. And like uh, Jake, Jake's parents didn't know. And like Tristan was really having this like real experience where, you know, they'd be driving Jake to go get uh, their tee shots and stuff and like really going out of their way to circumvent people's families. And it was, it was just reminding me so much of the mental health stuff where it's like, I can't believe you can't just tell your parents like this yeah. is how I am, you know, and that they can't be supportive. Our, um, our original drummer ended up coming out as bisexual and their family like didn't take it well. They, um, mm. they actually kicked, kicked him out of the house. Oh shit. And, yeah they they've since reconciled but it's it just a lot of stuff came up i think everyone was every, i was in my mid-20s but everyone besides me was in their like teens and early 20s and was just like kind of like discovering themselves and it was happening around me and the fact that they were it should be like celebrated you know they were they were discovering something which is cool and mm. instead they're facing all this like backlash for it and i was like it just ended up becoming a central focus. And then through conversations with them, I was like, oh, my understanding of gender is like so whack. I was like, oh, I'm also non-binary. Like that, that makes sense. It just, yeah. it, it just took me a long time to get there because I don't, like I act very feminine, but like I don't, uh, I'm not one of those like non-binary people who like wears dresses or like, wears a lot of makeup. Like I still present very, uh, I guess, masculine. Um, yeah but I met non-binary people who were like, you know, AFAB and they just dressed the same way I do. I was like, yeah, I mean, if I had been born with, you know, opposite sex organs, I would still be wearing skinny jeans and a t-shirt. So I guess that doesn't make you not, you know, one gender or the other. No, and I guess that's kind of like without putting it into the tiniest of nutshells, but like, I guess in some aspects, that's kind of what being non-binary is, is that you're kind of choosing your own identity in some aspects. Like yeah. I know, again, I know people that are, are non-binary, but they are masculine presenting, but they, as you, similar to yourself, they have effeminate qualities or there's people that are the complete opposite end of the scale that yeah. they are quite masculine in form, but they dress in traditional women's clothing and stuff like that so it's just like right so it's yeah it's that kind of line of i guess creating your own identity in in that aspect I yeah and, and, and thinking about it like i i realized i guess after a time it was like i just want people to think of me as a person and to only come into it with whatever preconceptions I might be offering up like mm. I wear you know black plastic glasses so that you can assume I'm some kind of little artsy person <laughs> and you know like I do this on purpose I used to wear wireframe glasses because I was a dork um and I wanted people that I had I was the only kid in school with transitions lenses I don't know why I thought it was a good idea but uh do you did you have those was that a thing I don't think so no 
oh, they they were like normal glasses, but like in the sunlight, they would turn into sunglasses. Oh yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I mean, that was very much did not catch on with the popular kids. I was gonna no, say that was very much uh, my parents' generation. Kind yeah, of yeah. Thing. Uh, it's it's. I don't know why I thought it was a good idea. Anyhow, um, I, I just I just want people to not look at me and go, I I have male based expectations of you. You know, I I just I just want them to have human expectations. I, I think old version me would have been like, but you are what you are and it's like mm. yeah but i mean you are the race you are too or you are you know whatever physical like size attributes you have but you can still look at somebody and acknowledge those things but without like uh using that to inform your expectations of them you can just still treat them like a normal person and i was like that's kind of what i i aim for mm. and i i think that it just like opened my mind up to a bunch of stuff and it was kind of the same thing with politics like when the band started, I was just starting to go like, oh, like our American two-party system is really messed up. Mm. And the, I grew up in a really conservative household. So like in my beginnings, I was, I, I thought I was a conservative because it, you know, small government, it made sense. And I didn't realize all the other crap that goes along with it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be like a libertarian, which is basically trendy diet conservative. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then all of my friends were like, you realize how like they base a lot of their policy on religion, which goes against their own, you know, statement of just being the smallest government possible. And I was like, Oh, that's true too. And then I was like, well, I don't want to be a Democrat because I feel like they just give people money. Like they, they just give companies money. They, you know, they, we have videos of Joe Biden saying, don't worry, Goldman Sachs, nothing's going to change for you. And I was like, so what am I? And people were like, well, you know that there's like, other things like socialism and communism and there's just general progressivism and i was like but communism is bad and i know this because every movie i've ever watched has told me that. <laughs> yeah. and they were like have you been in the real world before and i said no and then you know i all of the stuff was happening at the same time and it all ended up bleeding into guilt and we we were already set up to be an advocacy group because i don't know how to just write music for myself yeah, and then it was just like now these are the things that are happening in our lives, and it just it just made sense. It all fell together. Yeah, it took a long time to say it just happened. <laughs> so in terms of like, like we'll get onto the the album and stuff in a minute, but because you mentioned that you've been touring and been an active band for a long time before the record kind of came out, mm-hmm. um, so just in terms of that, like, just sticking with the whole kind of advocacy thing, and I know like where we are now in 2020 things are a lot better people are a lot more open-minded and a lot more kind of open to conversations and being educated on these topics but it's still by no means perfect but when you guys were starting out like i don't i I don't really know much about kind of like the the american scene in in kind of like the internal politics of, of things so was there any kind of pushback because you were so openly talking about these things or was it kind of welcomed with open arms? Do you, I mentioned Finn McKinty earlier. Do you watch punk rock NBA? Occasionally. Yeah. Okay. So he coined this like phrase that I, I can't think of a better phrase. There's the military wife, butt rock bands. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you know like, what I'm like? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in the South, it's like, you'll see, 
a truck or like it's, it's always a black jeep wrangler and they've got the punisher logo but it's got the cop thin blue line thing through it right and like the the scene whatever there is to be had especially in like jacksonville is firmly divided and it's almost like they don't ever interact where there's those people there's it's like we like alternative music but our version of alternative is just i listen to rage against the machine so i can punch holes in my wall not <laughs> think about like systemic issues you know like, yeah. it's like those people and then there's the the other group which is like the one that i fell into which is like we're going to talk about politics we're and even if we we disagree but we're, we're going to talk about it and we're going to you know, hash out these ideas and admit that there's problems in the world and some people are more progressive than others. But by and large, there's no hardcore conservatives outside of people who just want like anarchist style, you know, like ultra small government. Yeah. Um, and I, we just never interact with them. I don't know how we made it three years without playing a show where somebody said something I mean, obviously people have said things, you know, passively that were bad, uh, especially when you get people drinking. It's it's never uh, hard to find somebody with a very loud opinion. Hmm. But I, I think the people we ended up interacting with, it's like, you know, we meet one band and they say, oh, you're going here. You should play with this band. And everything we've done is word of mouth. Like we never had like a label and we never had any clout. So nobody was like begging to open for us. It was 100% just people who I book shows for and then them giving us recommendations. And it just worked out. We've never played with like a military wife butt rock band. And if we <laughs> did, they, they never said anything negative. Yeah. Sometimes those people can actually live their beliefs. And even if they don't agree with you, respect your right to do, say, feel, you know, what you want, which I think is the best conservatism could hope for yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You, know, you do you over there and i'll do me over here um and i think like you said the culture is different so now people know even if you don't like you know that my band has a black member you can't just go say something about it you know because mm. you're gonna get beat up it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah. you know like where you are you're not allowed to just openly say those things yeah and in terms of where the band is musically, like you mentioned at the top of the show, like where the album's kind of very musically eclectic, which I want to kind of touch on a bit more detail in a second. But yeah. when when you kind of first started the band, was there kind of any ideas of like what you got, wanted it to sound like? Did you kind of come in with certain like yeah. inspirations? And is it similar to what we hear now or did it start off with something very different? So I was in another band and I was playing lead guitar. And the reason I joined that band is because I just got into that click of uh, like Balance Composure, Title Fight, Citizen, Superhead, yeah, yeah. like those bands that were going around at that time. And I was like, this is what I want to do. And I heard that in this band, but the person who was actually writing the songs, it's like he would have some Balance Composure, but then he kept trying to shove Jack White into it. And I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be in a blues rock band. And he was like, no, man, like, it's cool. And like, I can get a bunch of people out to shows. And I was like, I don't care. Like, I don't want to be in a band that is successful where I don't enjoy the art that I'm making. Yeah. I've never wanted to do that with any of the art that I've done, whether it's like fine art or music. I want to succeed on 
the merit of doing something that I fully feel represents me. And so I was like, I'm going to write some songs. So I wrote some songs and I was like, they sounded more, to my mind, you know, citizen balance composure-y. And I was like, do you want these? And they were like, no. So I was like, fine, I'll just do a side project. And like the first, um, I don't know how much you've listened to the record and I don't want to like put you on the spot. So the first song I wrote was Numbers. It's the one that starts with the little piano intro. Right, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and to me, that's just a 30 Seconds to Mars song. Like it just, it sounds just like The Kill. Yeah. <laughs> like musically, not the, the vocals are a lot more like brand new-y. But um, I, I think my head was kind of in the right place, but a lot of that, those bands... I was hearing the grunge influence and like the EP we put out was a lot slower. And mm. then we started playing that stuff live because we, we just made music so we could go on tour. It, not the other way around. Yeah, I yeah. wrote a couple of the songs that I knew were going to end up like on the record. Like I wrote Flowers, which is like the single from the record. Yeah. It was the first like song that we were ever playing. But the songs that we recorded first because I was like, we're learning who we are they were so slow and we would play them live and be like, this is so boring. I hate being a grunge band. <laughs> um, so then we're like, let's be like an emo band. And I, I started listening to more emo because I honestly just didn't listen to anything at that time besides like those bands and all the Fueled by Ramen bands that I liked. Yeah. So then in terms of like the record itself, like, as you mentioned, this kind of, multi-layered in sort of like the genres it is kind of touching upon and like from like you could take a completely different sort of stance to this but for me personally when I listen to it like there are as you say kind of those elements of like title fight-esque bands but then there's oh, a song is a title fight ripoff song <laughs> <laughs> but then there's there's a song that wouldn't be lost on like a self-defense family record and then oh there's... yes we also rip off drug church a lot they also might be canceled which is why i don't bring them up that often either really uh there's some stuff about like i i love drug church the minute i heard them i was like this is it this is yeah, what i yeah. want to be like ha like two or three of the songs i uh i can never do the jesse lacy upper register scream yeah and i knew that i wanted to do aggressive vocals and then when i heard patrick's voice i was like this sounds like a 90 year old man. This is whack. <laughs> and then it was the same thing as the front bottoms where I was like, this sounds like a 90 year old man. This is awesome. And then I found out that I could do it. And I was like, oh, that's me. That's how I can hit these screams. And I don't have a low, like I don't have like the, uh, like a metalocalypse, like low growl. Yeah. Grasp. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't have this upper register thing. And I was like, this is a voice I can make. And so I was like, this is a band I'm in super ripping off yeah but yeah some stuff came out where something about him uh being disrespectful with an ex and kind of like using their like mental health against them but oh, then okay. he like said he didn't do it and it, it's kind of up in the air in the scene so oh, okay. just to play it safe i don't i don't generally bring up drug church or brand new um but i have said it shows like we're basically like a uh like a like uh nicotine patch for brand new where it's like you're trying to quit brand new which is your very self-destructive habit let us kind of like wean you off into something healthier <laughs> yeah. but the the reason i kind of bring up those sort of different touch points is like when you were kind of going into the the writing process i guess did you kind of just 
give yourself like free reign like you didn't want such like a rigid <laughs> structure kind of thing uh I, I, so like i said I, I wrote a lot of those songs very 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 at the beginning and just kind of held on to them and let them naturally kind of grow yeah but um i i kept feeling like the, i was pigeonholing myself in each song i was just like oh this is just clearly a ripoff of whatever like oh this is like clearly so basic rock structure as much as my first band was dinky you know the it was it wasn't supposed to be taken seriously the arrangements i really liked them and i thought that they were unique and then trying to be in a band that i wanted to be taken seriously as a rock band mm. i immediately fell into well this isn't original anymore this isn't like unique this this is, i've heard all of this before and so i i got really every song has to have a slow part and a fast part and it has to have a guitar part but it can't be a guitar solo because everyone already you know has heard a guitar solo so it's you know it's got to have a noise section because noise music is cool but i don't want to be a noise band and then <laughs> yeah. it, we've we've just kicked these ideas around so much and then it was like well maybe instead of each song has to have a noise section maybe there should be a noise song and then a punk song and then an emo song and then we're like well that kind of makes the record stilted so we want to weave these influences kind of back and forth and it, it was just a long series of discussions it it wasn't really intentional to have the songs be exactly what they were mm. but it was like we'd we'd make the bones of it like um like shelf the most obvious title fight ripoff thing at the end of it my guitar kicks on the chorus pedal and it sounds more like hyperview yeah yeah and in my mind that's the connecting fiber between that and like blue ink pen which is obviously a brand new song but has that big chorus pedal feel on it so mm. we we got to a point where we we're like we have all these genres and instead of trying to fix that problem let's try to connect it with tones yeah and just see if that works so then in terms of like i guess getting to the point where the record was out as you mentioned like you sort of writing music to go out on tour and obviously you mentioned earlier yeah. that you've been touring for several years before this record was even out so i guess in terms of kind of approaching that like obviously every band wants to put music out and so on and so forth <laughs> but but was the idea of doing a full length like was that something that was kind of at the back of your mind and the whole time yeah like i, yeah. I don't want to say because like obviously the situation we're in at the moment is kind of made things a bit easier for bands to sort of just put music out. But like, I don't know, what, did you kind of feel like, oh, oh it's, it's just a necessity just kind of thing? Out. Yeah, no, we, so from the beginning, I knew I wanted to make a record. Like mm. I said, I wanted this band to be taken seriously as, you know, like our quote unquote real band, but we were just waiting. We were waiting to figure out who we were and what we were going to sound like, what we were going to be about. And we put out some material so we could go on tour, but this was the record we were waiting to make. Right. Okay. And different people filtered in and out of the band. And we were also kind of waiting to see who the band was going to be. Like up until last year, we had different band members. Um, and, you know, it's like, are we going to be a five piece band? Because that means we can write additional parts on the record. Cause I'm, I'm very like persnickety about like, can we perform this live? I don't want to yeah. write a record that, you know, it's got a really sick fifth guitar part that like we just can't replicate but um i 
I, I knew we wanted to make a record and we tried to put this record out or we tried to record it like a year ago and then mm. stuff happened. We've had a long, long stream of bad luck um, and it got postponed and postponed and then we recorded it at the end of last year. We were going to put it out in January and then stuff happened that postponed it and then we we're going to put it out in March and then it was and we were going to go on a two-month tour that included dates in Canada. We were going to play Pooza Fest, which was going to be really sick. And then we were going to play Fest again in Florida. And like, now that we had already spent three years just traveling on nothing, and everyone kept telling us, like, why are you touring? You don't have a record. And I was like, I mean, why would I release a record when I'm nobody yeah, yeah. to nobody, you know? So I developed these friendships and these relationships. And now that we were going to release this record, this tour was going to be big for us because not only did people want to support us because they liked us as people, they liked what we stood for, they liked our music, but now they had a chance to listen to it and learn the lyrics first. And I was like, mm. this is going to be the big trip for us. And then COVID. And I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah. well, let's put it off for a couple of months. Like I, my mom kept being like, Tyler, when are you going to put a record out? Like every time I would see her, she would just be like, Tyler, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't, we're a touring band, you know, we're not a, a popular internet band. Yeah, we don't yeah. have a spicy Twitter that everyone likes. So it's like, we have to wait until we can go on tour. And I was like, it's fine. It, you know, like it'll, it'll be over in like a month and then like a month would pass. And I'd be like, it'll be over next month probably. And then eventually I was like, this is actually never going to be over. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we were like, let's figure out how to just release it. And like, I'm blown away by the, by the fact that people a liked it and then b like that we've gotten so much listenership because i mean obviously like being humble i didn't expect that many people to like the music and want to share it but also like i said we did not have a big internet presence so the yeah. idea that people are just going out of their way to show people this or like look for it is like very weird to me <laughs> that's fair enough and just like on terms of kind of this might come across as a bit of a, a strange question, and I don't mean it to sort of no, no, put please. you on the spot or anything like that. But because talking to you and you've 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 said like obviously you've got kind of effeminate qualities and and things like that, but there's moments on the record where you do scream like and just kind of like looking watching the videos and stuff, the way you perform like can be kind of aggressive, like not in a yeah. a macho way, but just a sort of this is my release kind of thing. So I don't know, do you kind of, I don't want to say detach when you perform, but like, is there an element of like when you're performing and, and singing that like you're getting everything out and that's kind of what we hear in the music? Yeah, no, like 100%. I, um, I'm not a super, I'm, I think if you were to ask anybody, I am a very stern person. Like, mm. I, I'm goofy around a lot of people. And I think when people first meet me, they're like, oh, you're so funny. But then if you work with me on something, which is most of my relationships, because I'm always doing projects, people are like, wow, you are just a hard ass. <laughs> um, but in that, I do my best to be fair. I try to put like the pressure that I, I put on other people. I try to at least like double it for myself. So it's, and and I've never, I've never yelled at anybody. I've never like, physically got into any altercations with anybody like I I deal with my anger in just my art 
Yeah. And so in that sense, I have a whole lot to use up. Um, and when the band first started, I guess we were not as good. And we leaned into being punky, not because we were playing punk rock, but because everyone was like, well, your, your shows are really like thrashy. Like you, you don't care about missing notes on your guitar because you're like spinning around or whatever. Not yeah. like cool emo band practice spinning around. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You just like flailing around on stage. And when other people joined, I was like, hey, just so you know, if you're going to be in this band, I don't really care how good you are at instruments. You need to learn how to jump with your guitar or you need to run into me or you need to like hit me in the face. And I've told <laughs> audiences at shows like where it's a room of my friends. So I know that they don't really want to hurt me that bad. But yeah. I'll just be like, hey, <laughs> yeah. during our set, just come up and hit me in the face. Just do it. Like I, I want to see that interaction. There's not a lot of, um, you know, you see videos of shows. I watch a lot of hate five, six videos Yeah, yeah. and it's like, people are like moving around and like jumping on stage that doesn't happen where we're from it's just the audience standing really still and looking at you yeah so even if they love it so i was like all right it's like uh it's like throwing a party if you want people to dance you gotta be the first one to dance so i'm like 100 in the minute we start playing i'm just like it's not a detachment for me it's 100 like my authentic personality i'm mm. i am that just <laughs> Uh, I don't want to say angry, just uh, that much energy. I have yeah, that much yeah. energy. And just one last thing before I start wrapping things up, just because sure. I know there is such a big festival out there in the States and like I've seen videos of it. I know I've had friends that have gone to it. I haven't been fortunate enough to go myself yet, but I've always heard that Fest is <laughs> like an incredible experience. Yeah. So for a band that at the time didn't have like a full-length record but as you said kind of built this reputation up from just touring what was kind of playing fests like and kind of that experience for you um so the first year we played fest i think people like assume if you're from florida you just get to play fest like right, I okay. an hour and a half from gainesville so people are like oh you just get to play fest and i was like no <laughs> yeah. uh my my old band didn't get to and we did a lot of like jawbreaker ripoff style stuff. I think emo didn't really have a lot of a foothold in fest for quite some time. It was yeah. like a lot of like against me bands and um, nothing against orgcore, but uh, I felt like we were like the weird one out. And the first year they booked us on the heavy bill. Mm. Like we played right before a band called Yashira. If you know them, they're, uh, they're from Jacksonville and they're okay. immensely heavy. Like they're like, Heavy, right you know? okay and i was like we don't belong here i i'm just a cute little twink just flailing around <laughs> you know but um it was cool because i didn't realize how many people i was gonna know there i every day was just me running from building to building being like i gotta go see my friends i gotta go see my friends like yeah it's it's amazing i don't even have time to eat usually yeah and, like yeah. the second year the first year people were excited about us. And I think because we'd already gotten the reputation, especially in Gainesville, you know, being close, we've played there a couple of times, but like people just wanted to support us. It's mm. not because they knew our music. And then like the second year we had had some stuff released. So people were able to sing along, but we had even more friends. So we got a yeah. bigger venue, but we packed the venue out. And then th th this year was going to be the like, finally everyone can know our lyrics. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's really cool. Do you know, um, Happy Accidents or Horror Douse? I know Happy Accidents. Well, I don't know them personally, but I know Happy Accidents. Yeah. Yeah. They're the, the, I think the first year we played Fest, 
we went around Florida with them. And oh, cool. House and uh, like got to hang out with them. Yeah. And then they were like, come to the UK. And I was like, okay. And we started planning that trip. I was like, how long do you think we should spend in the UK? Like a couple of weeks. And they started laughing and they're <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, how need... big do you think this country is? <laughs> I, like, I don't know. Yeah. T- 10 days tops you need here. That's about yeah, it. That's, it's, that's not worth the plane tickets. <laughs> not that I, you know, I'm, I'm a musician. I'm used to losing money, but like, damn, y'all need to get a bigger country. Oh wait, you should never, you should never tell England that stay the same size England. Well, I mean, at the moment, most of us want to get the fuck out of here. So, oh, you can't big... tell an American about wanting to get out of their country. Well, again, yeah, I, I can't. I can't. People, people won't take us right now. Well, same with us. We've had bloody Brexit. So. No, I meant because of COVID. Because we're so oh, irresponsible. Yeah, I literally can't leave. Yeah, but anyway, but obviously, like you guys kind of, as you say, kind of built a reputation on, on touring. And obviously at the moment, that's unfortunately not something that's possible, but have you guys had conversations about future plans or are you just at the moment oh, yeah. just kind of, I guess, simmering under the, under the surface until things are a bit clearer at the moment? We've tried to use our time wisely and I will admit my limitations. I am, I am an old person on the internet. I, you know, <laughs> I, I have Facebook, just like every other boomer and like all my friends who are like teenagers and are like I want to talk to you and I'm like yeah hit me up on Facebook and they're like I'm not going to make a Facebook just to talk to you like you would have to do that I'm like do you have Instagram and they're like I guess I could reactivate it I'm like oh my god I'm sorry but um, my other bandmates who are not as old have been um, really like bumping us up on TikTok and stuff like we've been getting a bunch of new followers and I'm like, these, these kids look like seeing kids from when I was a teenager yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. back. And the, I was like, this is our moment. Like we could, we could do, you know, like scene is back. So uh, it's, we've been focusing on doing stuff. We're not just like sitting on our heels, but uh, definitely waiting until we can go on tour. Yeah. Like it's, it's going to be so nice. We're just, we're just sitting on merch. We're just sitting on like, uh, all this gear we've been upgrading like I've, I've just spent this time like compulsively adding stuff to my like gear collection and yeah, like, yeah. now my tone sounds really like now my pedals aren't going to break in the middle of the set <laughs> although I can't play a set <laughs> so okay. yeah it's it's gonna be cool when we can do it perfect brilliant Tyler how I like to to end these is to ask my guests uh what their favorite song is but with a bit of a twist so what's your favorite guilt song that you like to play live and why Oh, dang. Um, hmm. Like, I, I want to say Flowers, but it's just because people actually like it. Because it, it's, <laughs> that's the one that, like, from day one, people, it was, it's slow. So people can learn the lyrics to it. Yeah. And yeah, I had yeah. people in my inbox being like, when are you going to release that Don't You Ever Get Sick song? And I was like, eventually. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I actually really like playing shelf. It's very short. Yeah. But um, I got to practice my Mark Hoppus jump. Nice. And right before it starts, because it's got that six count into the drum, um, Ash will start clicking the sticks and I'm like, I'm going to jump at the right time. And I almost always nail it. And it's like that feeling of like when you're eating a shrimp and you get the whole tail out on the first try it's the same thing. You're just like, <laughs> Oh, I, I nailed my jump. And then I like, I'll mess up the vocals, but I but you nailed the like, jump. <laughs> yeah. I nailed the jump and it looks cool. And I'm like, one day someone's going to get a picture of it and it's going to look cool. 
<laughs> Perfect. Brilliant. Tyler, thank you very much for your time. Um, thank you for talking to me. This was I, very fun. I didn't really get a chance to say it, but the album is fucking rad. Like, um, thank you. It was something that, as you say, like I wasn't really aware of. I'm really glad that I got put onto it. And I hope that this kind of puts more ears to it because it's a really cool record. Definitely. Yeah, me too. But in the event it doesn't, we're already writing the next one. Brilliant. Like to hear it. Perfect. Tyler, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Take care. Bye. So there we have it, folks. Again, a massive thank you for Tyler for taking some time out of their day to have a, a chat with me. It was really, really interesting and a really kind of... I, the, the thing I like about these chats is when you kind of go into it not having preconceived ideas, but you don't know what direction they're going to go in. And like Jess last week and Tyler this week, I feel like we got a really cool connection going on and really cool chemistry. So that's why I do this, is just to get create friendships, create a more more of a community and I know music is all about that community but showing that it's it is all inclusive and smaller and we can sort of cross these bridges across the Atlantic I don't know what I'm trying to say it was a cool chat um as always if you want to catch up with what Gil are doing you can do so on all various social media platforms which will be linked in the description notes of this episode um so yeah that is it for another week as always uh, if this is the first time you're listening to the show or the 164th time you're listening, really, really appreciate it. And as always, if you can rate, subscribe, review on whatever platform you're listening to us on, really, really does help us. Um, yeah, as I say, that is it for another week here at the Justin Inside Podcast. Thank you for stopping by and I'll see you soon.